Not just cheese and chocolate, a Swinglish podcast about books and other stuff I like. Hi, I'm Krista from Switzerland and this is the 12th episode of my podcast. All music used in this podcast is provided by my husband, Rolf. You can contact me via the podcast blog at notjustcheeseandchocolate.wordpress.com where you also find the episode notes and information on all the books and other media I mention. This episode took a long time coming together, even though I first thought that the subject would be easy to discuss. Ha! But now that it is here, I wish you joy with it. At the end of the episode, our regular guest, Diane, does not only provide us with her own two cents, but with the additional pleasure of a surprise guest. When I started out with this podcast, I thought that it would get easier with time. And in fact, it's the opposite. It gets harder. It has to do with wanting to improve and getting better. And while I, when I started, I just started recording uh, with a subject in my head, just started talking. And now I want to do better than in the first episodes. And I do a lot of preparing and writing and research and discussing with other people. In fact, it's much harder to do it now takes me a lot more time and that might be the reason why the time between episodes has grown but also life. So I'm back with a new episode finally the second episode in this year and I was inspired by finally going to see the movie The Lost City. Uh, Everybody at least in my Facebook groups and in the podcasts were talking about this movie and I absolutely wanted to see it in English which made it an adventure in itself as I was a little late and most movie theaters were only showing it in German anymore so I had to find a movie theater that showed it in English and it was quite a trek as it is a movie theater that apparently is made for people with cars and not for people who go by train like me. But it was worth it and I was inspired by seeing that movie to do an episode on adventure and romance. And as I started out with talking about a movie and being inspired by a movie, uh, I will start talking about a selection of adventure and romance movies that I've seen over the years. And the first question I had to put myself is, what is an adventure film with romance in it? For example, Speed, the movie with Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock, is not an adventure movie. It's a thriller suspense with romance. Or 
one of my favorite romantic movies, Lady Hawk, is a medieval fantasy with romance. So they both are not really adventure films. But how do you separate adventure from crime, thriller, suspense movies with romance? For books, I found it even harder to define, but let's start with the movies, as I said before. So the inspiration for this episode was the movie The Lost City. It's a new movie, 22 movie, with Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum and Daniel Radcliffe as an enthusiastic villain and very shortly a cameo of Brad Pitt. I absolutely loved the movie. I will not accept any criticism of it. It was perfect. It was amazing. I laughed a lot. I was very touched by the story. And there were many inside jokes that only readers of romance novels might get. It's quite respectful of the genre, although the heroine, romance writer Dr. Loretta Sage, is initially dismissive of it, as she had aspired to be a serious writer of scientific research papers. It is the cover model of her books who defends the genre and makes her rethink some of her assumptions about love and romance and the worth of writing about such subjects. The villain is a villain in every sense and a shining example of toxic masculinity. He expresses views on women and romantic fiction that we have all heard and fought against. In the movie, Loretta is kidnapped by the bad guy who wants her to help him find treasure and Alan, the cover model, tries to save her. He has a secret crush on her, and so the whole thing grows into a romance. While I did not really get the romance between them, the growing friendship felt very real. They talk and learn to respect each other, and Loretta deals with her grief for her husband. I always wonder about how romantic it can be being chased through the jungle, dirty and sweaty in the same clothes for days. But they do have a short reprieve at a place where they can have a wash and a change of clothes and get to dance in a loving reference to the movie Romancing the Stone. Romancing the Stone was a 1984 movie with Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner uh, with a sequel called Jewel of the Nile in 1985. I did not initially see that movie when it was in the movie theaters, maybe because I was too young or just because I really don't like Michael Douglas that much as an actor. Nothing against him personally. Uh, I saw one movie with him and Kathleen Turner that put me completely off. I didn't see Romancing the Stone then, but I heard from some people on the internet that it was a good romantic comedy and adventure movie. So I saw it recently with the sequel and it was very good. Uh, I really liked it. It had some similarity to The Lost City, which clearly references that movie. Uh, but it is a much more modern take, of course, as we have now the 20s and no longer the 80s of last century with a, a good-for-nothing hero who turns into a better person for the romance uh, or bestseller writing 
heroine. And the adventure are quite funny and Danny DeVito is the bad guy and so it was it was a lovely experience. Also very interesting what a dashing hero could look like in the 80s compared to what a dashing hero has to look like today. Um, the body picture of men has changed a lot. <laughs> very interesting to see that and compare that. Uh, another series of adventure movies are, of course, the Indiana Jones movies with Harrison Ford in the title role. There have been several, like Raiders of the Lost Ark in 1981, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom in 1984, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade in 1989. In two of the movies, Karen Allen was the love interest of Indiana Jones. In the second one it was Kate Capshaw. And in the much later filmed sequel in 2008, uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Indiana Jones is reunited with his love interest of the older movies and Karen Allen is again in that movie together with Shia LaBeouf, who plays Indiana Jones' son. In the third movie, you have Sean Connery as Indiana Jones' dad and River Phoenix as a young Indiana Jones. Uh, so you probably all have seen those movies. The romance is not at the center of it, but there are always romantic elements in them. And they are a spectacular example of adventure movies of that time. There were also video games and other merch that uh, came from those movies. Uh, another series that I missed out on was the, the Mummy movies. Uh, the first came out in 1999, The Mummy, and then The Mummy Returns in 2001. And later there was a third one called The Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor that came out in 2008. Uh, the hero of the Mummy movies is Brandon Fraser and in the first two his love interest and later wife is played by Rachel Weiss, and in the third movie she is replaced by Maria Bello. Uh, there is also John Hanna as the brother uh, of the lady in the movie, who is also an important role. The Mummy movies did a great job depicting a relationship between a competent woman, uh, she is a librarian by the way, and her male helpmate, a man who is not at all intimidated by her superior capabilities, follows her lead and does his part while also being very sexy. Then there is a newer movie, Jungle Cruise, came out in 2021, uh, an American fantasy adventure film with Dwayne Johnson, Emily Blunt and Jack Whitehall. Uh, Jack Whitehall plays the brother of the plucky heroine, uh, so there is a similarity to The Mummy, where the brother is also 
kind of less heroic than the female lead. And th this movie started out very nice, but uh, it kind of lost me when the secret was revealed. Then there is the movie Nims Island, came out in 2008, which is an adventure film with Abigail Breslin, Jodie Foster and Gerard Butler. Uh, this is about a young child living with her dad on a remote island, living a very adventurous life. And when her dad has to leave by boat and doesn't come back, she's all alone, stranded on that island. And as she's fond of the Alex Rover adventure books written by Alexandra Rover, who's played by Jodie Foster, uh, Nim has an email contact uh, with, with that writer, for research reasons, the writer contacts the island because her dad would have some expertise on, on subjects in the books. And so the, there is a contact between the young reader, Nim, and the writer at her home. And so the writer is the only person in the world who knows that Nim is all alone on that island and she wants to save the child. And has to overcome her, yes, agoraphobia. <laughs> I'm sorry, I wrote that down. The writer is a neurotic agoraphobe and she wants to save the child and therefore has to overcome her fear of going outside. And there is a romantic subplot between the writer and Nim's dad. So it is a movie for kids, but it has the re requested romance. A movie that I haven't seen yet, but was recommended on a podcast I listened to as a movie with not only for kids, but very watchable for adults. It's called Dora and the Lost City of Gold, came out in 2019 with uh, the actress, the very young actress Isabella Merst as the female lead. Uh, it's based on Dora the Explorer, but for slightly older kids. I don't think there's a romance in it, but as I haven't seen, maybe there is, and uh, let's be surprised. So when I was uh, preparing for this podcast, I thought of the Tarzan movies, of course, which were very important in my youth. And then I decided not to go into them as they would request their own episode. Some of the movies I've mentioned are quite old, the 80s and 90s, and they all take place in foreign parts, have lots of pro problematic content. Often the non-white people are made fun of or used as cannon fodder, or they are just nameless bad guys. So be warned, they may not have aged well. It's sometimes hard when you have loved a movie for a long time to be critical of it. But I wanted to mention this so that if you don't know the movies, you're aware that uh, they might hurt your feelings. So now we come to the books. I found some adventure movies and most of them even had a romantic subplot in them. But what about adventure books? 
I had a hard time even defining what an adventure novel would be. Do they have to be similar to the movies I talked about in the first part of this episode, meaning treasure hunts and archaeology? If so, there do not seem to be many of them, and those I found were not automatically to my taste. Uh, there is a series called The Blades of the Rose by Zoe Archer. Or Archer, sorry Zoe, I don't know how to pronounce your name. This is a four-volume series. I have the bundle on my e-reader. I've started the first book, but have not finished it yet. I'm sorry to say. So the first book is called The Warrior and it starts in the Mongolian steppes and goes to the Tibetan temples. Then there is the scoundrel, which takes place on Greek islands, the rebel in the Canadian wilderness and the scoundrel starts in England and then will transport you to fairy realms. So there is a magical element and treasure hunt and foreign parts. So it's quite similar to, to the movies I talked about. And I thought I would like them, but so far I'm not all that much into the first one. But I will probably continue. Maybe the second, third, fourth will be more to my taste. Then there was one that I really did not like much. It's called Artifact, the first book in the Jaya Jones Treasure Hunt Mystery series by Chichi Pandian or Pandian. Again, I have no idea how to pronounce that name. Sorry, Chichi. I did finish the book as I was listening to it on audio, but I was just not satisfied. So here a short description. When historian Jaya Jones receives a mysterious package containing a jewel encrusted artifact sent by a murdered man, she discovers the secrets of a lost Indian treasure may be hidden in a Scottish legend. Can Jaya figure out which of the scholars vying for her affections might be the love of her life and which one is a killer? So you see from the description, this should be exactly what I love, but the execution wasn't exactly what I love. Sorry to say. So I didn't continue with the series. Another book that goes into the treasure hunt, archaeology, foreign parts uh, line, like the movies, is one that I mentioned on the podcast before. It's called Crocodile on the Sandbank, Amelia Peabody novel number one by Elizabeth Peters, which is a historical mystery taking place in Egypt. And I've now checked and the book came out in 1978. I don't know if the edition I read was altered later on or if it was the original text. There is a really good description of the 1978 edition. I want to read that to you. In Victorian England, a woman wasn't supposed to be an archaeologist or a detective. Amelia Peabody was both. 31-year-old Victorian gentlewoman Amelia Peabody has inherited her father's strong will as well as his considerable fortune. On her way to Cairo to indulge her passion for Egyptology, she picks up Evelyn Barton Forbes as a traveling companion. Evelyn has a tarnished past, but both she and Amelia believe that it won't come back to haunt her. 
That belief is shattered when Evelyn is attacked by a walking homicidal mummy. Amelia enlists the aid of Radcliffe Emerson, a prominent Egyptologist, to help unravel the plot against her friend and decipher the clues left by the mummy. Between grave digging and academic sparring, she managed to save his life. But with the threat of an ancient curse closing in, Amelia must resort to outrageous methods to prevent the mummy from making corpses of them all. This is an amazing description, isn't it? I really liked the audiobook. It was well read, but it I thought that she was older than 31. Maybe that was the, the voice actor they used that make her, made her sound slightly older. But apparently she's still a very young woman. But of course, in Victorian times, that would have been uh, quite spinsterish and on the shellfish. So, with my problems preparing for this episode, with definitions of adventure, I discussed the question of adventure novels in our English book club used it as a resource. This was a suggestion of Diane. Diane argued that the adventure has to be of your own choosing and brought in as an example the classic Adventures of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. We all remembered reading adventure novels as children and teens. The adventure genre is very much a part of children's literature. Anna-Marie then brought in the definition of adventure fiction found in Wikipedia. This definition is much broader, mentions some classic works of fiction and sees the danger as the defining feature of an adventure novel. But then danger is also a feature of crime fiction and thrillers. Lisa recommended some fiction and non-fiction books about traveling to foreign countries, as traveling is also a form of adventure. Later, I talked to my son about the subject and this discussion was also very inspiring. He mentioned some books that we had both read who have both the adventure and the romance. Some of them fall into the category of fantasy or urban fantasy, which gave me some further ideas for my book list. He also helped me develop the following theory. There may be more adventure movies than books as the action of an adventure is visually very appealing. It is easier to show and to watch action than to write and read it. Also, in the romance genre, we tend to have character-driven plots with most of the conflict internal. This is less true for paranormal romance and for romantic suspense. I sometimes see reviews of romances where readers complain about too much plot, about too much going on, so that the romance takes a backseat to the action. And I realize that while I do like character-driven romance with internal conflicts, I actually cut my teeth on historical romances with lots of plot and adventure, which I do miss sometimes. This is the main difference between a Shorshet Heyer novel and a novel by my beloved Patricia Verayen. The time period, the costumes and the mannerisms may be similar, but while Heyer mostly wrote comedies of manners with little actual action going on, the main series by Verayen each 
has an overarching storyline where the heroines and heroes have to fight against some great evil in the form of plotting villains and dangerous conspiracies against king and country, very much in the tradition of the Free Musketeers of Alexandre Dumas. Sometimes, if well done, I find the book with external conflict even more romantic than the other kind, because in them the couple is a team against whatever they have to fight or to flee from. This was something I liked when I discovered Jane Ann Krentz, who also writes as Amanda Quick and Jane Castle. In her books, the hero and heroine often like each other early on and get closer while working together to find the bad guy or the solution to the riddle. If you are like me and sometimes wish for a little more plot and action with your romance, wait for my next episode where I will recommend some series and titles that have all of that and more. And now to the highlight of this episode. Diane and her husband Paul regale us with stories of adventures in their youth. And here we go with a little talk about adventure. When I started this idea, it seemed like it would be so simple. But life has stood in the way, and it wasn't exactly easy because I had little boo-boos, little always along the way and outside disturbances that are not adventures but those life things you have to get through. But now I'd like to share a little bit what I thought about adventure as a child. Just the word adventure, adventure books, the adventures of Nancy Drew, the young sleuth who solved mysteries. I thought that was just fabulous stuff. What I also liked as a child was riding my bike. That was an adventure. The wind in my hair, being on my own, maybe a couple blocks from home. And where I lived on the next street, you had to go up and then there was a nice down so you could have a lot of fun. But you had to really go pretty fast up. And so one day as I was feeling adventurous, I did that. Zoom, 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 up, up. Oh my God, whap! It was a, um, a body shop and there was a car parked right over the sidewalk where I went. And as fast as my legs had pedaled, I just whammed into that car, which I hadn't thought of at the time, but had probably been newly painted or bumped out. And I, <laughs> oh, did I hurt. I felt really pretty, pretty bad. But there were men, workers, not too far away, and I didn't want to be crying. But one was very nice and came out to check with me. And although they could see it was hurting me like hell, I said, no, no, I'm okay. And they didn't say anything about the car. I didn't even think about it much. And I wobbled with my bike home. And I didn't tell my mom. Another thing from home that I liked very much was ice skating in the ditch. It wasn't quite country where we lived, but it um, it had um, off the roads, ditches, places that filled up with water, and it froze in Michigan in winter. 
and it was easy just to shovel the snow off and you had a fairly long straight way and you could just skate back and forth. And my mom loved winter sports being from Canada, so she just bundled us up and we went out and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And we thought that was, as they would say in Canada, just the berries to go out and play in the snow. And I'm sure we weren't good skaters, but we thought we did a wonderful job and we had a lot of fun. <sighs> also by that house, uh, um, we lived in a rather big house. We had the upper half of the house. An Italian family had the bottom half. They owned the house and they had orchards um, on either side of the property. And we usually didn't go a whole lot further than that. But after that, there was some kind of a little shop. And after that, there was a little hill. And my best friend Susie and I, we would walk and go on the other side of this little hill. And we felt like we were miles away from everything and everybody. And we would play with our Barbie dolls or read our books and nobody ever found us there. So we thought we were doing just marvelous, leaving everything behind and living our own secret lives. Well, as an adult, I think probably the most adventurous thing I ever came up with was moving to Switzerland. Nobody does that in America hardly at all. And nobody could even believe that I was serious about it. And um, I remember getting rid of my normal apartment and getting a very small apartment in the city of Lansing where I worked and selling my car. And that was an adventure before the adventure to see if I could live in a small place, live in a city and walk to work. It all went well, and I did feel quite adventurous, and I felt better prepared for my trip. Speaking of trips, going on a trip around the world was rather a big adventure, especially since the man who invited me had been told we were only friends, and as friends we could do this, but not as more. Well, we all know the challenges of that one. Um, so yes, there was some adventure to that. But there was one added adventure in China. We were among the first people who could go as tourists into China. And at that time, you didn't go individually. You had to go on a group. You had to enter and leave by the same place, and you had to have a guide. So I went with a rather wealthy man who had never been in a group touring, and he didn't quite have the concept of everyone having to get on a bus at the same time. He would always be there promptly and grumble why other people were not ready. I had already been in Switzerland for a year, uh, it turned out, he asked me, how would you like to go home via San Francisco? And I live in the Great Lakes area. So that meant coming home from California, 
rather than New York. And and now I forgot what I was just going to tell you about that. Um, but yeah, you had to be at a certain place at a certain time and you couldn't run off by yourself. And after a short time, his, his Royal Highness, my host, was going crazy. And from being in Switzerland for longer, I had learned to get the most out of people's English since I didn't speak French, German, or Italian, the national languages. So it wasn't like I got good at a language, but I got much better at understanding different levels of English. Well, it turned out I became <laughs> the interpreter for our tour guide. We would all be listening and you could sort of see people looking at each other like, do you understand what he's saying? Uh, what's going on now? And I got the closest of anybody to what the man was saying. So it became the practice for the tour guide to say whatever and then Diane to hear it and pass on to the group. It means we have to be at the bus at 8 o'clock. Uh, what we're going to see is an opera. It's the five-headed monkey king. <laughs> Such thing. And um, my, my English was good for everybody, and the tour guide pretty much understood because I had learned to speak clearly. So although um, Larry my partner through this was rather annoyed that I was spending most of my time with the tour guide and helping other people. So one day he was really starting to let off steam, smoke at the at his collar, and he said, I really want to get away. I don't want to be in a group for a while. And that just was not on. You couldn't do this. And really, there were people in the halls. They An old lady just sat in the hall. And that meant she was just watching who was coming and going. And this was the time before smartphones and everything. And so I went and spoke with our tour guide. And I promised him with all my heart and soul that if he would secretly let Larry and I go away for a couple hours, that where they were supposed to meet in the afternoon, we would be there. And he was very, very unsure of this, but he had seen how Larry was not in such a good mood, and he did appreciate how much I was helping with the tour. So he wrote, of course, in Chinese, so I had no clue what... <clears throat> not what uh, what we would be doing and where we would be in the afternoon. And he said, strictly, I don't know, one o'clock, you must be at this place. And he wrote it on a piece of paper that I clutched in my hand. I told nobody but Larry. And as everyone got on the bus, we slipped away. Well, it was just amazing. <laughs> wherever we were, just standing there, realizing the bus had left, people started to to form a group around us. We 
were like Princess Diane. We could not go anywhere and not have a crowd around us. And people who could speak five words of English were trying to speak to us. People were trying to give us things to get out of China. Oh, oh, oh. So that was a big adventure, but I'm not sure how good an adventure it was. And people wanted us to take pictures of them. They wanted pictures of us. And it turned out to be rather tense. It was fun, but we didn't we didn't get to enjoy it very much. It was nice to be on our own, but we realized being on our own was not such a good idea. But anyway, so that was a big adventure that I enjoyed very much. And we had really something to talk about after everything. And for my final adventure, I think it will come back to the bike. I had never driven a bike for transportation. And when I came to Switzerland, I was thrilled that I didn't have to own a car. And I thought that was wonderful. So after I'd been here for a while, I thought, you know, I think I could handle a bike here. And I got a bike and I rode around my neighborhood and that was absolutely fine. And if if I could ride around the neighborhood and getting into town wasn't that far, maybe I could do that. And I went out onto, wasn't even a big, big street, but I went onto Lengas and I had to compete with buses and other pedestrians and cars and baby carriages. And it was a short drive, a short ride, but it was one of the biggest and worst adventures of my life. I was soaking wet. I was a nervous wreck by the time I reached downtown Bern. And so sometimes adventures remain adventurous, even, may, even though they may not turn out to be the best things we did. They're very memorable things because we acted on it. We did something even if we may not choose it again. And I think that's part of what makes it adventure, just the doing, thinking about things and then actually doing it, putting it into motion. However it turns out, that's the biggest adventure of life. And that's how it was. And so until next time, goodbye from adventurous or non-adventurous Diane. And there's a little chance you're going to be hearing from somebody else here. Have a great day. Are we ready? Yeah. Okay. Dear podcast listener, I'm Paul, and I'm asked to speak about an adventure of mine. So, it happened one day in my childhood, I was barely age 10, that I decided to drive the Land Rover truck of my father. With my least sister, we jumped in and I started to check the oil and gas lever like a good pilot does. I started the engine, put the first gear, barely reaching the pedals, and up we go along the little road. Proud I was when I stopped the Land Rover in the dead end road in front of the postman, poor man, 
believing the car was having a ride by itself. My father was not happy, and to my very surprise, instead of being punished, I was ordered to have driving lesson with him along a private lane free of traffic. That was indeed a good day for an early adventure. Goodbye.